I'm in Ephesians 1.15. 1.15, we'll catch the passage in flow and then begin looking at it in verse 17. 1.15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. If you were here last week, we began this prayer, one of the great prayers in the Bible, in the New Testament, and we saw the priority of prayer because Paul is praying uh, unceasingly. He's all the time praying, he says. I pray for you uh, just without ceasing. And the reason that prayer was such a priority to Paul, to Jesus in the early church was simply because that's where the power is and that's where the intimacy with the Lord is. It is the greatest privilege and it is the real work of life and ministry. We saw four takeaways last week. I encouraged all of us to take time every day to meet alone with the Lord, time, unhurried time with God. Secondly, do what Paul does here and just pray throughout the day while you're driving, while you're exercising, while you're doing housework. Just be, be in a habit of praying and interceding for folks. Thirdly, I asked if all of us would read Jim Cimbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Powerful, powerful book. I've gone through it several times, and even my fourth reading a few weeks ago, just, just so meaningful for me. We ran out of copies last week, and we've got 80 more copies, or at least we started with 80 more copies. They're in our bookstore today. Fourthly, uh, come to the prayer service at all possible because we want to see breakthroughs in all of our lives and if we pack this place out, we're more likely going to see all kind of breakthroughs. We also uh, introduced these wristbands, these armbands, and we've got a little cylinder up on the left. And here's the uh, thought, is that be praying for things, and when you see an answer to prayer, uh, summarize it on the inside of the band, and then drop it in the cylinder and grab you another one. They're beginning to fill up, but we just want to see that God is a prayer-hearing God, and we just want to kind of have that physical reminder. Now, I mentioned the prayer service. This week's prayer service it has Doug Stringer leading. Some of you know that name, leads Somebody Cares Ministry, a national, international leader, for example. A few years ago, there was a, we uh, had a large prayer gathering convocation at NRG Stadium with Governor Perry. Doug Stringer was the man behind that. He has a real anointing on his life. Uh, it's always uh, great to be with Doug Stringer leading, and he'll be here this Wednesday. Or wristbands. I was talking to Rod Herrig in our church yesterday. He's a captain with United, and he told me about his wife, Angela, having one of these particularly for one person that he's, she's praying for. And she ran into her and told her that this prayer band is for you. And so just kind of threw it out there, and, uh, and the, the woman, young woman said, uh, that's for me? I mean, just to remind you to pray for me, and she really appreciated it. I don't know if you want to do that, but uh, it meant a lot to her. Last week, all that, the priority of prayer. This week, what do we pray? You know, the best place to learn how to pray is by the prayers of the Bible. And certainly Paul, we can learn about pray, praying through Paul. 
Paul was like you and me. He prayed about little things, big things, all kind of things. If you, if you desire something, ask God for it. But he also prayed strategically, strategically. And we're going to see that today. You know, Napoleon, one of the great military geniuses in history, they say that part of his greatness was that he could survey the, the large battlefield and pick out the most strategic spot that you've got to capture if you want to win that battle, strategically. And it's that way with Paul. He teaches us by his own examples how to pray strategically. We're going to see today the sort of things we ought to include in our prayers. Pray about many things, but include this. The heart of what Paul prays is found in verse 17 that we read. When he says that, this is what he's praying for, the Christians at Ephesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, that's a little bit uh, convoluted, a little bit theological. Let's just kind of unpack that a bit. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, giving you wisdom, opening your eyes, giving you revelation from God so that you would know God better, the knowledge of God. Now, this is not theological knowledge. This is not more academic knowledge. This is knowing Him personally. This is not like the way you and I know J.J. Watt. We know a lot about J.J. Watt, but we don't know J.J. Watt. With God, we're talking not about head knowledge, theoretically knowing about God. We're talking about we know Him. We know the Lord. We're one of His intimates. We love the Lord. In fact, that's our purpose as a church, isn't it? To love Jesus with all our hearts. Well, loving Jesus goes with knowing Jesus. Paul's prayer, the essence of it, and therefore uh, a high priority for us when we pray for other people is simply, Lord, may they know you better. May they love you. May they be closer to you. Now, let me just ask you, is that a big part of your praying or at least a, a highlight, a priority in your praying? Most of us probably could raise the bar, couldn't we? You know, what do you pray for your spouse? What do you pray for your kids? What do you pray for your friends? What do you pray for your church? What do you pray for your pastor? Well, put at the top of your list that they would know God intimately. They would be so close to God. Augustine put it this way. He said to, to love the Lord, to, or he, I've got it right here in front of me. To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. The greatest adventure is to find Him. Yeah, I just messed that all up. Let me try that again. <laughs> I can read this. To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek Him, the greatest adventure. To find Him, the greatest human achievement. Life is about, do you know, do you know, the only reason that you exist on this planet is to know the Lord. That's the only reason you're here, that I'm here, is to love, to know, because there is life in our God. You're made for Him, and that's the only reason you're on the planet. And so Paul, not surprisingly, you know, I pray this for you. I pray every day uh, for you as a people, and uh, at the start of my prayer is, you know, that we love the Lord or know the Lord. You've got to know the Lord. So, if that's not a part of your prayer life, add to it. Put it on there. All righty. He goes on. That the God, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, he's just elaborating here. That kind of goes with the, the spirit enlightening you. Having the eyes of your 
heart, not head. Theological knowledge is essential. We want to know the Scriptures, but we don't want to stop there. We want to go beyond the page to the person. We want to know God. The eyes of your heart enlighten. And the reason that you and I need God to enlighten our heart's eyes is because we're spiritually dull, and we need God's help. Um, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so I can know you better. Now, at this point, he elaborates with three specifics. Okay, the, the, the basic prayer request is know the Lord, know the Lord. And now we come to the three specifics in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Three things, hope, inheritance, power. Let's look at them. Hope that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, we got a problem here because the English word hope means something a little different than the biblical term for hope, and uh, we ought to just have a different term. But the English word hope, we, we just say, you know, I, I hope that's going to happen. You know, we Texans fans, we hope the Texans beat the Lions today, but we don't know. We just kind of hope. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is certainty. It's a sure thing about the future. You know, you're, you're trusting God, faith for the present. Well, this is faith in the future. The things that God has for you, you got a sure hope about, not a wistful hope. God has all kinds of things for you. And Paul prays that you Christians at Ephesus would know the hope, the sure thing that God's called you to. When God called you to himself, he didn't call you just to get saved and have forgiveness of sins. He called you to a whole entire relationship and life and transformation and all kind of things, including all that he's got for you in heaven. And it's a sure thing. we got to know that hope. There's a summary word for it used at times in the Bible, and it's the word glory. God has called you to glory, which kind of is a word that kind of expresses just everything good. You know, the, the glory that God has for us, it includes not only to be the penalty of sin removed from you, which has already happened if you're in Christ, but the presence of sin. So you're no longer battling sin. You know, it's just completely gone. It has no power at all, no presence, no reality in heaven. It means you've got unfettered, complete joy, peace, love. You, you don't wrestle with any fears, worries, anger, jealousies, envy, guilt, I mean, how good would that be? I mean, the rest of your life and eternity, no worries or fears, no sin, that'd be pretty good. No pain, tears, death. That's the glory that God has for you and the immediate tangible presence of God. When we talk about heaven, we really kind of mislead. We talk about golden streets and playing harps. It's so much bigger than that. Talk about the richness of joy and love and the presence of God and people and relationships, and you're not doing conflict all the time. Man, uh, think about the greatest adventure with the most precious people you can imagine and multiply that by a billion and you get some idea. Glory, glory, Paul says. In Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to you. Now, Paul suffered a lot. He got beaten with rods. He got, 
stoned. He, he was left for dead. He was persecuted left and right. He, got, he had a lot of suffering. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present life don't even mention it in the same sentence with the glory that God's got for us. Now, how good is that? Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. They get that. They get it. Get it. Do we Christians live in light of the glory that God has for us, the sure hope? We ought to be on kind of on our tiptoes of eternity. Hey, that's coming for me by God's grace. That's coming. That's coming. Death is not something that we fear. Man, that just ushers you into glory if you're in the Lord, if you know the Lord, if you've trusted the Lord as Savior. Do you pray for your family members that they would know the hope, the sure hope? It'll transform our lives if we do that, if we know the sure hope. Pray that for them. Secondly, we want to pray, as Paul prays here, that you may know um, that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, question, is that the inheritance that God receives for himself or the inheritance that God gives to us? Because both are biblical and both happen. But which is it here? Well, a few verses earlier in verse 11, saw this several weeks ago. Most likely the translation there should be, as NIV and other translations have it, but not the ESV, though it's overall the best translation. But I think it's probably best to say, "In, in Him we have been chosen as God's inheritance. There's just several reasons for that. Old Testament background, the context here, but also just the language He's used. What are the riches of not our glorious inheritance, but His glorious inheritance? So, talking about God's inheritance here. What is God's inheritance? Some of you may get a great inheritance. I hope you do. And our inheritance would, might be money. Uh, could be land. Maybe it's a ranch in West Texas. Something like that. Oil well. Um, God is not interested in inheriting any of those things. Why, why would he? I mean, he'd just make them. You know what his inheritance is? You and you and you. You are his treasure that he is longing to inherit, a people for himself, a people to love and to be loved. You see, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances, and he wants us to love him back. And he, you're, his, you're his treasured inheritance. So secondly, Paul says, you just guys just got to know this, the glory, the glorious inheritance that you are for our God. That's who you are. You're, you're, you're God's treasured inheritance, treasured possession. So this goes back to the start of Ephesians 1 where we talked about how, who we are in Christ, how we should see ourselves. This just fits right in there. Uh, see yourself as God's inheritance. How about that? God's treasured people inheritance. All right, there's one more. Thirdly, and he elaborates this one when he says in verse 19, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And then he goes on to elaborate what that power is like. But in our verse, here's the third of three. He says, I'm praying for you that you'd know the power. But he really elaborates that. In fact, there are six terms that we've highlighted on the screen that show the emphasis. He doesn't just say that you would know the power of God for those of us who believe. 
He, he goes beyond that and says that you would know the greatness of the power. And he goes beyond that and say, so that you would know the immeasurable greatness of the power. And he goes beyond that and says, so you would know the immeasurable greatness of the power according to the working. That's another term for power. Our word energy comes from it. You could just say according to his power. According to the working of his great might. Now, the, the Greek language here says mighty strength. Two synonyms for power. And the ESV well translates it kind of great might because that's the point. But literally, he says, according to the power of his power, power. Do you think that Paul is trying to grab our attention here? Of the power of God, six terms in one sentence for power. And then, beginning in verses 20 through 23, he elaborates that power. It's all about the resurrection power of Jesus. And then, two chapters later, in chapter 3, where he ends this section, he goes back to it, 3.20.21, where he says, Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory. So he, he could hardly say this strongly enough. Church, let, let me let, just think with me. Why in the world? I mean, how could he be more emphatic on power? I mean, hope is important. you got to know the future hope. Uh, who we are, we're God's treasure. That's important. you got to know that. But why in the world does he have this like tenfold emphasis on power? Here's my thought. I think that part of our humanness, part of our sinfulness as humans is that we have great self-reliance rather than God-reliance. You ever talk to a two-year-old or a 62-year-old? We have a great tendency to rely on ourselves and our resources rather than the power of God, especially here in the West with all the money and education and resources that we've got. It is a great danger. And the whole heart of, of biblical faith is dependence upon God or His power. Also, you've got a, an enemy of your soul who is constantly telling you, God doesn't hear that prayer. God doesn't listen to that prayer. God's not going to do anything about that prayer. He just constant messages, God is really not going to come through for you. Why bother to pray? So that many Christians live as practical deists. You know the term deist? Thomas Jefferson Benjamin Franklin, they were not Christians, they were deists. Deists believed that, yeah, there's a creator in heaven, but he made the, the, the universe like a clockmaker makes a clock and just lets it go. That's a deist. They're not believers. It's not biblical faith. If you do not believe that the power of God is coursing in your life and my life so that we're expecting God to work, you're a practical deist. And so we expect God to, to, to work and answer prayer. The challenge is, I mean, he's not a genie. He's not going to answer every little prayer like we want when we want. But he is the sovereign God, and he's got all power to work in our lives. Now, what will it look like in your life and mine if we actually trust God, depend on his power? Well, I can name 10 things. Here's, here's, here's a quick list. One, you will stop trying harder to please God and start trusting God to transform you. Now, every one of us wants transformation. 
There's some parts of our, ourselves we don't like. We want God to change us, don't we? Your spouse wants God to change you, I can tell you that, but <laughs> you, you also want that. Well, rather than just trying so hard, trust God. It's the difference between water skiing on that lake. You got your slalom ski here, which I've never been able to, you know, get up on. But slalom ski, and you got that rope they're pulling on. It's the difference in having the rope attached to the power boat, or not having a boat out there. The mass of Christians are trying to water ski with no boat. There's no power actually attached to the string. We've got to depend upon the power of God to transform us. Okay, if you believe in the power of God, you will expect God to regularly do the impossible around you. Thirdly, you will not be content with reading about miracles over there and back then, but you will want to see those miracles right here and right now. Fourthly, you will trust God to save people. You will, you will not stop praying for your top five and others. You will be asking God to rescue people from addictions and to heal people. Five, you will trust God to rescue you from deep sin patterns such as worry, fear, anger, unforgiveness, lust, and guilt. Now, this one, this is the power of God's stuff. All of us wrestle with those kind of things, and we don't like it. But we will trust God. Oh, God, you can rescue me from this unforgiveness and from this lust and from this problem. We will not fear Satan or demons because God's power is so much greater that's just not an issue for us. We, we will know that God can restore the broken marriages of the people around us that we care about. And so we'll be praying. We will not be like those folks that 2 Timothy 3 talks about in a future day who will hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. Now, now think about that with me. That there will be people in the future day who will have the appearance or the form of godliness. They'll be in the churches. They will have religion. But they will not actually believe in the power of God changing lives and healing people and saving people around them. Practical deists. If you are living a life of a practical deism, that's not biblical faith. And so many Christians, this is more a philosophy or a religion than a love relationship with the living God. What is it for you? power. This past Sunday, we're talking on prayer, and, <clears throat> and I, uh, there's a mom here praying for her young son who was addicted to drugs, and he's, I think he's in Colorado, the story goes. He's, uh, uh, he, and she's calling out with a friend here. We had a time of response prayer for, for the sake of her son. Later that afternoon, she gets a call from paramedics who were working with her, her son at that point, and he is in cardiac arrest. Now, he had taken overdose on heroin and an elephant tranquilizer, which I understand is a, can be a lethal combination. That's what Prince died of. I understand that most people overdose on this. They die. They don't make it. She gets a call. We are working on your son. His heart had stopped beating for five minutes. Stopped breathing. She, she had earlier that morning been calling out to behalf of her son. She later gets the call, the news that he not only survived, but it looked like no brain damage. Yay, God, for that. On Wednesday night, <clears throat> on Wednesday night, she uh, uh, told me that story. By, by the way, if you hear a voice right now in your head saying, well, that's a coincidence, 
Guess whose voice that is? When you pray, coincidence has happened. Um, I heard about three miracles on Wednesday night that had happened in the previous week. And I'm expecting to hear more coming out on Wednesday night. I believe if we all sought the Lord with prayer the way God is calling us to, that in all of our personal lives we would see so many more breakthroughs with marriages, with healings, with kids, with all kind of things. That's why I'm praying that we would pack out Wednesday night service so we would see so many more breakthroughs for the glory of God, the power of God. Um, it's not so easy to have the resources you've got and to have this desperateness, dependence upon God. But may God open our eyes to see it. May He open our eyes. John Piper was talking on this passage, and I love what he said about it because it's the way I feel. This is what he said to his people on this passage. He says, I know that the vast majority of you do not feel this power. It sounds idealistic. It sounds like religious hype. It sounds vague and theoretical. It does not correspond to experience, and so you instinctively feel that this sermon is going to be like a piece of fiction. He said, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I have often felt that way myself, and so have I. But he says, but by God's grace, the Word of God may change your mind and your heart. And that's my prayer this morning. Oh, God. May your living word change our hearts and minds so that we would not be Thomas Jefferson type deists, but that we would be practical believers in the living God. So what have we seen today? We've seen how to pray strategically. And this doesn't mean we shouldn't pray about all kinds of things, little and big, all the time. We should. But we also ought to pray these kind of prayers. And if you're not praying them, I would encourage you to learn how to pray from the prayers in the Bible. And let's pray this way. I could raise the bar. Maybe you could raise the bar. But pray these kind of prayers, especially that, you, that the people around you would know the Lord better and better. Oh, God, may they love you more. May they know you better. Open the eyes of their hearts. Specifically, that we would all see the glory that God's got for us in the future and live in light of it. That we would all see that we are God's precious people, His treasured inheritance. And that we would see the power of God. And so we would be calling out to Him throughout the day because we know that God is a prayer-hearing, miracle-working God. Why don't we pray that right now in your own words for the people around you? I'm talking about the people in your life that you're close to. Just bow your head right now. In your own words, pray for that. Lord, bless these dear people. Bless them. Draw us to yourself. Open our eyes. Lord, may we know you and your power and your hope and your inheritance. Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never prayed the sinner's prayer, which is have mercy on me, a sinner, do it right now. Just breathe that prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Jesus will save you. He will save you. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen.